climate change and nukes. It's a bad combination. The nuclear industry wants you to ignore climate change, except, of course, for their propaganda that somehow nukes are going to save us from climate change, and they tell us actually it has no consequences in reactor operations. But then you hear a real expert who not only tells the truth about the nuclear climate change nexus, but gets to publish it in mainstream media. And he tells you... The conclusion from Moody's analysis is simple. In an increasingly climate-disrupted world, nuclear power anywhere will be more costly. Under constant and unpredictable climate threat, it may not even be able or capable of generating power. If Exelon's reactors are unprofitable now, what will they be in such a future? It's a dangerous gamble, environmentally and economically, to rely on nuclear power in energy planning. Therefore, no amount of creative financing, subsidies, or bailouts in any form is justifiable or should be approved. Well, when you become familiar with the true impact of climate change on nuclear reactor operation, not just in terms of health and safety, but in terms of the money, the only thing the nuclear industry does pay attention to, you realize that it is well past time to shut them all down so that all of us can get out of that awful, dangerous seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat, it's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, two separate interviews related to climate change and nuclear. In the first, we talk with Dave Kraft of Nuclear Energy Information Service on his recently published commentary on what he calls Exelon's nuclear hostage crisis, an article which has proved wildly popular and is helping focus legislator attention on nuclear issues in Illinois. Then we'll learn about the new website VoteClimate2020.org which helps voters here in the U.S. vet their candidates for climate policy, a focus which includes their stance on nuclear issues. We'll talk with the website's visionary founder, Robert Manning, and Maggie Gunderson of Fairwinds Energy Education, who worked with Robert to create the website. It's nonpartisan, factual, all information vetted, and an important source as we barrel towards the November 3rd election. We will also have nuclear news from around the world, numbnuts of the week for outstanding nuclear boneheadedness, and more honest information than Randy Rainbow has yet put into one of his satire songs. All of it coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, September 15, 2020, and here is this week's nuclear news from a different perspective. Here in the U.S., 
the nuclear industry and the Nuclear Regulatory Cult uh, Commission continue in lockstep to use the coronavirus pandemic as a smokescreen to force ahead their agenda. This comes into focus nowhere better than in New Mexico, where the push to make New Mexico a nuclear sacrifice zone by citing a so-called interim storage dump for high-level nuclear waste continues to move forward. Indigenous tribal members from a multitude of tribes, along with local residents, are pushing against this in what they are calling one of the most blatant forms of environmental racism. A permanent repository for high-level nuclear waste would be illegal to build in New Mexico. So the fiction that is Yucca Mountain as a permanent repository, something that will never be built and is just being kept alive because it allows what is being proposed to be built in New Mexico to be called interim. The proposed canisters for storage are substandard for what they're being asked to do which is hold on to the high-level nuclear waste for 40 years with the possibility of two extensions of 40 years, meaning 120 years, which means it's as good as permanent. At a recent panel discussion, Richard Moore, coordinator of the Albuquerque-based Lowe's Jardines Institute, said, Race, poverty, and the environment are increasingly recognized as interlocking issues. And environmental racism is, quote, the intentional targeting of communities of color and other communities for anything they, meaning wealthier communities, don't want in their neighborhoods. Children, the elderly, and women, especially women of color, are paying the highest price from pollution as a result of the increased work and health problems and economic devastation. While this poorly designed radioactive waste storage facility is being reviewed by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, A call has gone out to stand with our indigenous sisters and brothers of New Mexico by sending a public comment of opposition to the irresponsible Holtec and Eddie Lee Energy Alliance Consolidated Interim Storage Facility, or CISF. That's the official name. We will link to that on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 482, but ask that you act on this quickly because there's a deadline of September 22nd. You can use a boilerplate letter that is on the site and can add to it as you wish, as I did. Last Thursday, September 10, Representative Dinah Titus of Nevada led an effort with 35 of her House colleagues to call for a ban on explosive nuclear weapons testing in the finalized fiscal year 2021 National Defense Authorization Act. She said, We must not provide foreign nations with justification to openly conduct nuclear test explosions while putting the health of the American people at risk. The Senate version of the NDAA makes at least $10 million available for the United States to conduct an explosive nuclear weapons test. No word as to whether they're talking about underground or heaven help us above ground, but either way that is radiation released and that is unacceptable. Well, there's good news and there's good news in Iowa. The derecho that slammed into Ohio on August 10 with hurricane-force winds damaged the Duane Arnold nuclear reactor near Cedar Rapids. The reactor had been scheduled to cease operations in the fall, and plant operators, rather than repairing the reactor, opted to shut it down instead. Now, in an article published by Joseph Mangano in the Des Moines Register, 
The epidemiologist from Radiation and Public Health states that nuclear power reactors create over 100 radioactive chemicals not found in nature, waste products that last hundreds and thousands of years, and much of this waste remains stored on sites like Duane Arnold as the 60-year search for a permanent storage location continues. And no, as I've said before, New Mexico is not it and neither is Nevada. The main thrust of this article is Mangano's contention, backed up with vetted statistics, that the shutdown of Iowa's only nuclear power plant will mean less cancer, and most specifically less cancer among children who live in the area. In Ohio, lawmakers have filed bills to repeal the $60 million nuclear bailout bill, known as House Bill 6, Soon after the arrest of former Speaker Larry Householder and others in July, but now these repeal bills have languished for more than a month with signs that House leadership may be angling to defer or stop such efforts as Election Day draws near. There's an excellent article on this by Eye on Ohio, a nonprofit, nonpartisan Ohio Center for Journalism group in partnership with the nonprofit Energy News Network, and we will link to it on our website for this episode. From Japan, we learn that many Fukushima evacuees have died away from home. NHK, Japan's equivalent of public broadcasting, has learned that more than 2,600 people have died over the ensuing years after being evacuated from their hometowns following the meltdowns at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant in March of 2011. About 10% of the original population had died as of August of this year, nine and a half years after the original accident. So the death toll from Fukushima continues to increase though officials are obviously refusing to see it that way. And now... Nuclear hot seat, nuclear hot seat, nuclear hot seat, none that's out of week. Wow, NPR. When you get it wrong, you really get it wrong. On September 8th, the national program All Things Consider did not consider all things when it ran a story entitled How Two Towns That Host Fukushima Power Plant Recover After 2011 Nuclear Disaster. First of all, put that word recover in quotes. And did they actually listen to the people they interviewed? One of them on the show who lived in Futaba said, No one can live here yet. There's no electricity, no water, no infrastructure. And then he talked about the wild boars that were roaming the streets and causing hazards. As for the other town, Okuma, NPR's All Things Considered gleefully reported that there's a lot of construction happening here, a beautiful new town hall, and a planned community with dozens of identical one-story houses lining newly paved roads. And people are actually living here, too. How many people? As they report, Okuma used to have a population of over 11,000. Now there are less than, it should be fewer than, 200. And the interviewee admitted, there are only old people here. What young family would want to live here? Any school, hospital, or grocery store is miles away. Look, Japan keeps trying to game us into thinking that the Olympics are going to be safe, that everything in Fukushima is fine, and that there is nothing to worry about. 
The real story is much more grim than that, and you can hear all about it firsthand on two special reports from Nuclear Hot Seat last year, episode number 439 and 440 from November, and on-the-ground report from Fukushima Prefecture, which includes Futaba and Okuma by Beverly Finlay Kaneko and Yuji Kaneko. They have genuine observations on things that, all things considered, totally missed. And that's why, all things considered, you are this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, none that's out of the week. As I said, we will have links up to the two previous Nuclear Hot Seed stories that deal with what's happening on the ground in Fukushima Prefecture. That will be under this week's episode number 482. In the UK, Hitachi Limited is poised to withdraw from a proposed UK nuclear power plant, the Wifelove Project in Wales. After suspending work on the 20 billion with a B pound, or 25.7 billion US dollars, project in January of 2019, after failing to reach a financing agreement with UK government, the Japanese firm recently concluded it was impossible to restart work. Thus, Wifla joins planned UK nuclear power projects in Oldbury and Moorside as having been suspended since Hitachi and Toshiba Corporation were unable to secure financing or partnerships. Word on the street against nuclear seems to be getting out. In Kenya, it appears that country is determined to build a nuclear power plant, despite reservations expressed against this project over the years by many concerned Kenyans. A recent article in Business Daily Africa reported that solar energy power plants can be built at much lower costs. Operational costs for solar plants will be cheaper in terms of fuel, personnel, and plant maintenance costs. And, oh yeah, it doesn't leave behind deadly radioactive waste that is lethal to human life for tens of thousands of years. This message to Kenyans include, Kenya cannot afford the cost of nuclear energy and the attendant human cost. Now, how do we convince the U.S.? South Korea is having nuclear problems. Their nuclear safety agency has launched a probe into two nuclear reactors, Units 1 and 2 at Hanul Nuclear Power Plant, in the northern part of South Korea, after a radiation alarm went off at a joint facility. No radiation leaks have been reported thus far. Climate change impacting nukes? Give a listen. Also in South Korea... Typhoon Haishen interrupted the operation of two nuclear reactors on the southeastern coast. The reactors went into automatic shutdown, or a scram, due to a malfunction in the reactor cables facilities caused by the typhoon. That brings to six the number of reactors that have been shut down in South Korea due to problems caused by recent hurricanes. These shutdowns were caused by a change in the salinity of the cooling water, the saltiness of the cooling water that came about because of the typhoons, and investigators say the issue was preventable and should have been foreseen. This is raising concerns about the safety of nuclear power. Yeah, think? More on climate change and nukes. Record floods have threatened a nuclear power site in Bangladesh. At least a quarter of the country has been experiencing intense flooding because of monsoon season. 
And one of the areas deeply affected is the Pabna district, home to the construction site of Bangladesh's two nuclear power reactors at the Roopur nuclear power plant. The article from the conservative climateandsecurity.org states that as climate change intensifies, the threat of severe damage to the nuclear power plant increases, as does the likelihood of a nuclear disaster that could devastate millions. And there's a long and thorough article from the conservative utilitydive.com entitled, For Nuclear Plants Operating on Thin Margins, Growing Climate Risks Prompt Tough Choices. It cites the recent Moody Investor Services report that found credit risks for nuclear plant operators will grow over the next two decades due to climate hazards. Also cited were rising sea level, the temperature of water being too hot to actually cool the nuclear reactors, and increased flooding risks. And we will link to this article on our website under this episode number 482. Here's the first of this week's two featured interviews. Dave Kraft is head of Nuclear Energy Information Service, or NEIS, based in Chicago. He regularly writes to mainstream media organizations with op-eds, opinion pieces, or corrections to their nuclear stories. They don't always pay attention, but recently they did, in a big way. And the response was so stunning, and the information so necessary, we decided to talk with him about it and learn what a major newspaper suddenly found so compelling in his message. I spoke with Dave Kraft on Monday, August 31st, 2020. Dave, do you often write commentaries or hopefully op-eds on nuclear issues, and are they usually accepted and run by the publications you submit them to? We pick and choose carefully when we will do an op-ed, partly because of the space restrictions for a lot of publications. But uh, in this case, we felt it was certainly an issue that needed to be addressed immediately and decided to go full bore on it. The other problem with commentaries and op-eds is very often publications will have restrictions on first right of showing and you can't use it again for so many weeks. We've tried to avoid those as much as possible. So we've gone for the shorter letters to the editor where you don't have those kind of restrictions. But as I said, in this case, this was such an enormous issue and the implications of it were so great that we felt we really need to put this into an op-ed commentary which is what we did. The Exelon announcement took place on Wednesday, August 27th. And this appeared, your writing appeared on August 28th in the Chicago Tribune online version. How in the world could you pull something together this fast? Were you the only one who worked on it? Did this have to go through channels in any way? The actual writing was very simple. These are uh, arguments that we have been making since 2014 here in Illinois on why nuclear is really a a horrible energy choice for the long term. So it was very easy to cobble together the pieces we had, uh, associating it with the arguments that are in the Moody's report, which came out early last week, suggesting that nuclear power plants are really going to have a rough time in a climate disruptive world and are going to cost more if they intend to operate them. So on our end, it was a very uh, easy thing. And very often when we write these, we convert them to a part of a series that we call. Here we started this uh, about four years ago, and it's called 
Illinois Energy Transformation. And this would have been the 19th version of that had we not ended up in print, which we did, fortunately. So um, as I say, on our end, it was very easy. What was remarkable though, was again, the quick turnaround time from the Chicago Tribune, which very much surprised us. We submitted it early afternoon on Thursday. And by Friday morning, we had a contact back from them. We had to sign a, uh, a waiver, which I guess is new policy for commentaries. And then we saw it online Friday afternoon. So we were just amazed that they turned it around so quickly. And now it's appeared in the print version as well. That is correct. Today is Monday the 31st, and it's in the print version today. Let's give people a chance to hear what it was that got published, that got written by NEIS and submitted to the Chicago Tribune, and was published in both the online version and, as of today, the 31st of August, the print version of the newspaper. So we titled it, Time to End Exelon's Nuclear Hostage Crisis. Quote, Nuclear Hostage Crisis Day 2363, unquote. Yes, that's right. It was March 9, 2014, when Exelon announced that they would close nuclear plants if the Illinois legislature, under House Speaker Michael Madigan's watchful eye, did not bail them out. The jobs lost. More dirty fossil fuel burned. Tax bases destroyed. The horror. So in 2016, the legislature paid the $2.35 billion ratepayer-funded ransom to Exelon's Nuclear Hostage Crisis Fund. Crisis averted, right? Wrong. Exelon returns with more ingenious ways of legally extorting ratepayer funds through proposed legislation, which unfortunately for them, Illinois Governor Fritzker doesn't like. Perhaps in no small part due to the fact that the FBI's investigation of suspected illegal lobbying practices that produced the first $2.35 billion ransom payment. Exelon's response? Yet another nuclear hostage crisis. Today, well, last week, August 27th, Exelon announced potential 2021 closure dates for its Byron and Dresden nuclear plants. Both were on the Exelon's 2014 closure list. This is the culminating event in a week-long spate of pro-nuclear op-eds that have appeared in the Tribune and elsewhere, begging the legislature to somehow save those money-losing reactors. The timing of this nuclear kabuki theater is quite unfortunate, however. Earlier this same week, Moody's Investment Services released a report torpedoing both the long, ridiculous claims of cheap nuclear power and the opportunistic pro-nuclear claim of nuclear power being needed to address the climate crisis. The Moody report states, climate hazards are likely to worsen for nuclear plant operators over the next two decades with severity varying by region. Secondly, ultimate credit impacts depend on the ability of plant operators to invest in mitigating measures to manage risks. English translation, Running nuclear plants safely in an increasingly climate-disrupted world is going to cost more money, if they can even run at all. The conclusion from Moody's analysis is simple. In an increasingly climate-disrupted world, nuclear power anywhere will be more costly. Under constant and unpredictable climate threat, it may not even be able or capable of generating power. If Exelon's reactors are unprofitable now, what will they be in such a future? 
it's a dangerous gamble, environmentally and economically, to rely on nuclear power in energy planning. Therefore, no amount of creative financing, subsidies, or bailouts in any form is justifiable or should be approved. As if to prove the point, during this same week, four reactors in France faced reduced power or total shutdown because of the European heat wave, precisely when those plants were needed most. Exelon's nuclear reactors already experienced shutdowns or drastic power curtailments in the drought of 1988, losing or curtailing over 100 reactor days of operation between June and September due to low water levels and higher water temperatures in the rivers they depend on. And again, during the droughts of 2005, 2006, and 2012. The reactors were unavailable when needed most to meet the severe power demands during those heat waves, which were climate disruption light, future predicted conditions would be much more severe and unpredictable. While concerns over job and tax-based loss are legitimate and serious, these should not become hostage bargaining chips. When the nuclear hostage crisis first began, NEIS argued to the legislature then, as now, that it is the reactor communities that need the bailing out, not profitable Exelon. We argued for proactive creation of just transition funds to meet the inevitable day when reactors would close for whatever reason. This idea was opposed by Exelon and not acted upon by the legislature. It does appear in the proposed Clean Energy Jobs Act. A much better future for our children would be one that is both carbon-free and radioactive waste-free. To create a truly low-carbon and less polluting energy future, put those funds gambled on nuclear directly into renewables, efficiency, and energy storage up front instead, eliminating nuclear's unpredictable risks and perpetual bailouts. This will provide the added benefits of not only being lower carbon, but also generating power without creating long-lived, dangerous, and costly to dispose of high-level radioactive wastes. You can't create an energy future by bailing out the past. It's time to end Exelon's nuclear hostage crises. Those are 650 extremely powerful words that you have. What kind of response have you gotten to it at this point? It's been pretty extraordinary. We've had comments, positive comments, totally, from all over the state. Members and, and groups, organizations that we are colleagues with, downstate, upstate, have sent us very, very warm congratulatory remarks saying it's finally someone is saying it. Now, I can't verify this, but I heard this last week. Currently in Illinois, Governor Pritzker has formed a energy working groups to study this and many other energy-related issues to put together legislation for the fall veto session. Now, this is the part I can't verify, but it's amusing if it's true. The head of the working group, who is Deputy Governor uh, Christian Mitchell, apparently somewhere in some comment at one of these meetings referred to the nuclear hostage crisis. Now, we had written about this many years ago, and we've sent it out to legislators and state officials since, so I can't say that we are the cause of that. But the very important point is that that is now the perception, that everybody is getting it, that we have been taken for a ride for decades by Exelon, by ComEd, ComEd of whom has been indicted by you know, FBI investigations, the Speaker of the House, Michael Madigan, is under investigation. 
this has been the way energy legislation is crafted before. So for folks to get it, that this has just been one big nuclear hostage crisis where Exxon can threaten closing reactors and taking jobs away. And now people are saying, wait a minute, we don't want to play that game anymore. To us, that's real progress. That is really progress. Dave Kraft, the head of Nuclear Energy Information Service, or NEIS, based in Chicago. You can learn more and read the Chicago Tribune article at their website, neis.org. We'll have this week's second featured interview in just a moment. But first, there are so many issues, and they're all begging for our attention and involvement these days. You know the list. COVID, the election, global warming-influenced wildfires, ice melt, extreme weather events, international warmongering, on and on. I'm sure you've got your own personal list. It demands your attention, pulls at your heart and soul, and I know it's hard to know where to put your attention. Unfortunately, nuclear is rarely at the top of that list. Yet, even if we defeat COVID, improve the financial well-being and health of the populace, even reverse climate change, the problem of the nuclear fuel cycle and the radioactivity it has already released will remain, as you'll learn more about during today's featured interview. That's why you need Nuclear Hot Seat. We don't get distracted. We look at the nuclear aspect of our world every week in depth. Nuclear Hot Seat is the only podcast that you can count on to report the ongoing, evolving nuclear truth that the industry would rather we not hear about, let alone understand. But financially, COVID has hit us hard, which makes your help to keep the show going more important than ever. That's why the time would be right now to support us with a donation. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the big red donate button to help us with a donation of any size. And that same red button is now where you can set up a monthly $5. Please do what you can now. And know that however much you can help, I'm deeply grateful that you're listening and that you care. Now here is this week's second featured interview. The whole world must know by now that the United States is in an election year that is heated, to say the least. While many voters have already made up their minds about who to vote for on all levels of the election cycle, if they're not including a consideration of climate change policy in their candidates, they are not getting a complete picture by which to judge the person. There is now a nonpartisan website put together by two veterans of the anti-nuclear movement one a literal veteran of our military, and it's a site where anyone who is concerned about climate issues can check out your candidate before finalizing who you're going to vote for. Robert Manning served 28 years as a California firefighter, of which the last 15 were as fire captain. He's a lifetime member of Veterans for Peace, engaging in anti-war activism since the first Gulf War in 1991. And he has worked with Dr. Daniel Ellsberg of the Pentagon Papers and the Sonoma County Peace and Justice Center during the war in Iraq. Since the 1960s, when atmospheric nuclear weapons testing began, and as an active member of the Unity Foundation for the past 12 years, Robert has assisted in creating events that promoted peace, nonviolence, and understanding of different cultures. Maggie Gunderson, our other interviewee, founded Fairwinds Energy Education, 
a 501c3 nonprofit with a mission to educate the public about nuclear power production, engineering, reliability, and safety issues. We spoke on Saturday, September 12, 2020. Robert Manning and Maggie Gunderson, great to have you with us again on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. We're going to be talking about VoteClimate2020.org, but I always think it's important for people to understand who's behind a project, where it's coming from, and the motivation behind it. So, Robert, this has been your baby from the start. Tell us where this idea came from and also a bit about who you are and what you bring to the table. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. I'm 84 years old. I'm blind. I spent almost 30 years of my life as a firefighter. And, uh, you know, the evidence around us here in regards to climate change, particularly in California, is uh, pretty self-evident. <laughs> I don't think too many people need to be convinced here in California and probably in the South and Florida also in regards to hurricanes. So in regards to what inspired me was at the time when I read about an 11-year-old girl who sat in front of the Swedish parliament every day with a sign, Stop Climate Change. She did this every day until she was recognized. And uh, now she's 17. And this is Greta Thunberg. And when I heard about her sailing across the Atlantic with her father and a crew of three on a racing yacht, I thought, wow, <laughs> that's, that's really something. And then... She sailed again about across the Atlantic, back across the Atlantic to Spain. Her father was still with her as a guardian and support and all of that. And I was thinking to myself, because I'm a father, I've got children and grandchildren. And I thought, what is she going to do next? Because <laughs> I'm going to still be supporting her, but I'm afraid of what she's going to do next. So that was my inspiration, and I have not been sorry for it. It has... Uh, created it so I'm dedicating the rest of my life, the rest of my life and doing whatever I can to uh, stop climate change from getting any worse than it is. Maggie, how did you get involved with VoteClimate2020.org? I am a nuclear whistleblower and the founder of Fairwinds Energy Education Nonprofit. And Fairwinds' mission is to analyze risks of nuclear power plants like Fukushima, Three Mile Island, and operating nuclear plants, waste sites, and, and production facilities. Robert and I met and became colleagues due to his background in disaster management. When post-Fukushima, I was researching nuclear power and mass fatality events. Right now, we're experiencing one of those climate crisis-induced events with wildfires in, in California, Oregon, and Washington. And we know how bad those fires are. There is no place in the world that a nuclear power site, its host community, or the region it's in can handle a nuclear mass event like this that, that climate crisis can, can do. What is VoteClimate2020.org and what is the thinking behind it? Kind of another part that uh, inspired me is in regards to what the oil and gas industry is doing right now, today. What they're doing is business as usual. They're drilling for oil. In fact, President Trump recently signed an executive order in regards to drilling more in the Arctic. 
And in addition to that, they're uh, fracking, drilling and putting in pipelines. And this is throughout the world. It's not just the United States. So that, to me, is absolutely insane in regards to the direction that things are going. So in regards to the website itself, you know, it took nine months of research by myself and some other people. I didn't do this alone. You know, it's, a, it's not me, it's we. And in regards to doing research on existing videos that were informational type videos and also music videos and creating things on our own in regards to testimonials, speak up testimonials and creating uh, skits. So it's a mixture of infotainment in regards to where citizens can go throughout the world, in fact, not just the United States, in regards to learning about climate change, becoming more informed, and translating that into voting, whatever in the United States that happens to be November 3rd, but uh, other places in the world when an election comes up in regards to being a more informed citizenry. So that's uh, get out the vote and uh, learn more about where your vote should go in regards to the environment. And uh, we're going to be doing more here at the beginning of October. And I'll outline that later. Maggie, can you add to what is hoped to be achieved by having the site and how people can work with it? It's to really help our legislators and the voters know what's happening, what's what's going on in the country, and how will these people we want to elect, our senators, our congressmen, will they represent and recognize that we are facing a real climate crisis across the entire country? And making sure that our governors and senators and congressmen take that as a first priority. And we can publicize that. On the site, we will be telling what that level of voting is about. And then on top of that, the site is also giving information on each of these issues. So if someone says, well, I don't really understand how the wildfires are climate crisis or how this nuke plant can be endangered by floods and fires or warm water, that information is going to be on the site. And as Robert said, it's, it's set up as easy to look at videos and people's discussions and testimonies about the importance of environmental justice and protecting ourselves against the climate crisis. I know that especially here in the United States right now, there's extreme polarization between the two major parties, Republicans and Democrats. What do you say to those people who might think of this site and go, oh, well, you're in one camp or the other? If they go to the website, there is a a series of uh, playlists, seven different categories. And the categories run all the way from Jane Goodall to people of color and environmental justice. And in regards to the politics, there is a playlist in regards to both Democrats and Republicans who are for climate change. There are two Republicans with videos on there. One is George Schultz, who was the Secretary of State for at least four Republican administrations, and he's for climate change. And also Bob Inglis, who is a very conservative Republican, and he's for climate change. And he was inspired by his son. In fact, he says on the video before his son talked to him, whenever he heard the word Al Gore, 
he just shut down. Wouldn't even listen any further. But now his son talked to him and regards, and so he's changed. So we would direct people to that particular playlist if that's their interest. But as I said, there's eco-friendly eating. There's a species extinction with Dr. Jane Goodall. There's a Greta Thunberg. There's testimonials by a gentleman who's a scientist, Andy Gunther, who is a part of the Union of Concerned Scientists. And there's ordinary people, too. I'm on there, in fact, and I'm just ordinary Robert Manning citizen. You name the aspect of climate change, and it's there. In fact, I've got a sign here in regards to vote climate. You know, if we don't, all of us, not just a few of us, it's going to take all of us or climate change is going to get worse. You know, and so it's like, let's take the steps and the way to do it is, listen, we don't have the money. We don't have the power. That's already there. What we do have, if people are convinced, we can move mountains. We have people, citizens. And if we work together, like I'm saying, we can move mountains. And we can't do it alone. I know I'm sitting here in California in the middle of some of what the climate crisis is looking like with the fires and the smoke and the need for HEPA filters and sequestering inside, not just from COVID, but from the smoke. So if I'm hearing you correctly, Robert and Maggie, you can speak to this as well. This is a nonpartisan site. You're not saying vote Republican. You're not saying vote Democrat. You're saying vote according to climate. It's not only nonpartisan, it's nonprofit also. Actually, if you go to the website, there is a page that's called the Unique page. What is unique about the website and in this whole approach to voteclimate2020.org is we've taken different aspects of climate change that most other environmental groups do not include. One is nuclear power. And Maggie can speak to that. Another is, is militarism and climate change. Woody Powell is featured on, on that. In fact, he's featured on the homepage right now. Uh, he used to be uh, an executive director of Veterans for Peace. He's 88 years old and he's blind like I am. And he's still in there fighting for trying to mitigate climate change. In addition to that, we have a youth group that pedaled 3,500 miles from San Francisco to New York They've been back about five days from that experience, and they're on the website. We also have, like I brought out earlier, politicians who are for climate change. It's on the unique page. If you, if you go to that and go down, you'll see all these different aspects in regards to a collective approach to climate change. I think that Robert has done just an exceptional job in creating this whole concept and bringing in people from all ages, you know, starting from teenagers all the way up to, as he said, to 88 years old. And it's just amazing. And everybody's working together to try and contact as many people as they can and say, look, the number one issue we have in front of us is climate crisis, climate change, climate emergency, whatever name you want to give it. The climate is what is going to impact our lives and, and hurt all of us. And we need to find people who are committed to putting that as a priority. 
What are the groups that have become involved so far, and what are some of the successes that you have experienced? It's been uh, Fairwinds, of course, is a sponsor. Uh, Unity Foundation is a sponsor. PeaceChannel.com, Sustainable Rossmore. So it's a a variety of groups. I happen to live in Rossmore that has uh, 10,000 people, and you have to be 55 years or older to uh, live here. So the Sustainable Rossmore is part of that. And so uh, they're also a sponsor of what we're doing. It's growing. In fact, we just got notification that we've been fully endorsed by Veterans for Peace. That's an international organization, Veterans for Peace. Congratulations. Thank you. And so it's moving. If we can get uh, some people of note involved, you know, possibly even someone like Tom Steyer, I think he's pretty partisan, but we are nonpartisan. So I mentioned earlier about the early October. What we're going to put on the website beginning in early October, and not an exact date of October, but early October, we're going to put scorecards, environmental scorecards of all the national candidates in regards to the Senate and the House and, of course, the president and the governors, too, of the states. So the environmental scorecards will allow citizens once again to be able to vote more intelligently about climate change. I don't know if anyone, too many people know this, but the virus was indirectly caused by climate change. And how we have a video on there of a doctor, hereditary scientist, who has done research in regards to citizens going out to the more into the forest, the jungle, putting roads in to cut lumber and all that. And the wet markets in China is fairly certain that that's where the virus came from. AIDS came from a relationship from animals. SARS virus came from animals. So indirectly, the virus that we're experiencing right now came from climate change. So it sounds like other groups can still sign on and be supporters and be linked on this site as long as they have a nonpartisan stance against what's going on with the climate and the desire to work on climate change as a major issue. Maggie? Yes, as long as they're willing to take a, a nonpartisan stance and work together to help push a climate change agenda across the country, in local communities, nationally, everywhere. And that's what we need. We need people who realize that we can't have mass evacuations. You know, the fires y'all are having out there. I I mean, in Oregon, for example, today, there, there are more 40 or 50 people that are just missing and entire housing developments that are gone. We can't live that way as a community. And we can't live that way, for example, with the nukes. Different nukes have had flooding. As the water gets warm, as our sea levels rise, that puts the pumps at jeopardy for cooling the nuclear plants. And it also gives all kinds of environmental inversions so that the radiation stays down in an area because all operating nukes have radiation released every day under the belief that it'll go up into the atmosphere. But it's not moving with this heavy climate change. 
that's also something that's been under discussion here on the West Coast because we got hit pretty heavily with radiation from Fukushima, which became part of the ecosystem. It was in the water, it got in the soil, it got picked up by the plants. And now many of these plants that have taken up the radioactivity are burning and re-releasing that into the environment. And I have heard from a few of my sources that they are starting to get elevated radiation readings. Maybe it's not a huge spike yet, but the numbers are going up. So it's all connected, all of the different environmental issues. Say there are so many concerns on the entire West Coast because there are former nuclear test sites, there are waste dumps, there, and there are retired reactors as well as active reactors. And a fire is not going to stop at the boundary and say, oh, that's a nuke plant. I'm not going to go there. And there's no methodology in place. I mean, Robert's a disaster management person to say, we can't stop that fire from crossing into these particular facilities. It'll go where it's, it's raging. This is a question, because I know that Maggie knows the answer, is uh, Fukushima. There's a river that goes right underneath the Fukushima power plant. And for highly radioactive material, highly radioactive is flowing 24 hours a day, 365 days a year into the Pacific Ocean. Right, Maggie? Yes, that's correct. And there were steps that could have been taken disaster management steps early on to reduce that possibility, but the government was unwilling to do that. Uh, it still would have been a tremendous amount of waste because the way they built the plant, water comes off the mountain and goes down into the ocean and it, it goes right under the plants. Right. And in addition to that, the federal government has, uh, in regards to the Fukushima prefecture, that's how they split up their nation in regards to threatening, taking away subsistence money from the people who live in the Fukushima prefecture if they talk to the media. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. They can't talk to the media. Doctors are not allowed to talk about the people who die in the hospital, people who have radiation poisoning, the miscarriages. They're not allowed to talk about anything like that. Uh, we've had individual doctors who have contacted us couple teachers were arrested because of what they were teaching in the classroom because they're not allowed to say that there's anything bad with nuclear power. I don't think it can be overemphasized that we don't have the power, we definitely don't have the money, but we do have the people if we act together. And we can move mountains. We really can. And fortunately for us, we still have the ballot box, although they're trying to take that away too by devious means. You know, it's an appeal to, for us to work together. And in regards to what specifically what people can do today is to go to the website and uh, volunteer. And you can help form alliances with other organizations that you know, we will put them on the website, these various organizations. And in regards to helping do research in regards to the environmental scorecards, you know, it takes volunteers. It takes people to do the research. So there's plenty to do. Just contact us. And there are different things to do in every part of the country. You know, on the West Coast, you're all facing the wildfires now and the heat, the tremendous heat. And here in South Carolina and, and this region of the country, we're facing hurricane season. 
you know, every place in the country, when I lived in Vermont for 17 years, we had the ice storms and the blizzards. Every place in the country has climate-induced issues, and nothing has been done on a national level to protect our communities. The main focus right now is November 3rd here in the United States. And I am trying to be in a positive space and say, no, we can do this. This is people-powered, and we can do this, and we will have a new administration. And then we have ongoing work to do in helping them look at the climate issues in front of us. For the listeners who want to check out this website, follow some of the links, watch some of the videos, and find other ways to get involved, the website is voteclimate2020.org. The website is very complete and multifaceted, and if they particularly go to the unique page, they'll be able to see very clearly. Volunteer. Join us. I know the listeners of Nuclear Hot Seat are very motivated to get involved, to be educated. And I'm hoping that they will follow this lead, check out the website, and see what they can do to get involved. For now, Robert Manning and Maggie Gunderson, always great to have you with us here on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank Thank you, Liz. Thank you very much. Robert Manning of the Unity Foundation and Maggie Gunderson of Fairwinds Energy Education. Please check out the nonpartisan info-rich website that they and others with them created, voteclimate2020.org. And if there's any way you can help them out with their further work, please contact them directly. Activists, Activists, shout out, shout out, shout out. Congratulations to the winners of the 2020 Nuclear Free Future Award. In the education category, it went to Jack and Felicia Cohn-Joppa for their organization and newsletter, The Nuclear Resistor. Over the past 40 years, The Nuclear Resistor has chronicled more than 100,000 anti-nuclear and anti-war arrests around the world, while encouraging support for more than 1,000 jailed activists. Canadian Ray Acheson, director of Reaching Critical Will, was the winner in the solution category. Journalist Fedor Maryasov and lawyer Audrey Televlin from Russia won in the resistance category. And Native American activist and New Mexico Democrat, U.S. Representative Deb Haaland, received an honorary award for special recognition. Nuclear Hot Seat congratulates all the winners, and we look forward to catching up with you on a future broadcast. Scott Portsline, the security consultant for Three Mile Island Alert, will be presenting on the problems associated with sabotage and terrorism of U.S. nuclear power plants. He will be discussing improvements that have been made and the vulnerabilities that still exist, as he reveals numerous examples of security breaches. The discussion will also include what you can do for nuclear safety. It's going to be on Monday, September 28, at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, and we will have a link to the Zoom meeting where you can sign up on our website, NuclearHotSeat.com, under this episode, number 482. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, September 15, 2020. Material for this show has been researched and compiled from Nuclear-news.net, deunrenard.wordpress.com, Beyond Nuclear International, the International Campaign for the Abolition of Nuclear Weapons, or ICANN, 
Holt Holtec, GallupSun.com, NMPoliticalReport.com, 8NewsNow.com, Des Moines Register.com, IonOhio.com, NHK.OR.JP, NPR.org, 311Miruka.jp, BusinessDailyAfrica.com, World.KBS.CO.KR, KoreaHerald.com, Hani.CO.KR, ClimateAndSecurity.org, UtilityDive.com, and the ever-co-opted Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Hey, I'm in need of some help with the show. Anything from helping to post each week's program on social media to pulling audio from online existing videos to helping get the show up to speed on video to the possibility of producing your own online report on nuclear issues of importance to you. If you have as little as an hour or two a week, you could be a really big help to us. Just send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com and we'll get you started. And if you're a broadcaster communications student looking for an internship, let's see if we can get you some real-world experience and a great credit for your resume. I write terrific letters of recommendation. So let me know. I'll get in touch with the school, and let's see what we can work out. Again, the email is info at nuclearhotseat.com. Now, if you'd like to make certain that you never miss a single episode of Nuclear Hot Seat, it's very easy to do. You can go to nuclearhotseat.com, scroll down to the yellow opt-in box, fill in your first name and email address, and bam, you will get the show delivered to your email every week as soon as it posts. First on your block to get the nuclear news. Or you can just look for us on any of the popular podcasting sites and get a subscription that way. Now, if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send that email. Again, same email address, info at nuclearhotseat.com. We'll take a look at it and see what we can do to get it on the schedule. And if you appreciate weekly verifiable news updates about nuclear issues around the world, take a moment to go to nuclearhotseat.com, look for that big red button, and whatever you can do to help once you click that button will be really appreciated. This episode of Nuclear Hot Seat is copyright 2020, Libby Halevi and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed, as long as proper attribution is provided. This is Libby Halevi of Hardestry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you lies that minimize nuclear radiation impact might make some people feel safe. But words won't change scientific facts. They just keep you in danger that you cannot ever escape. There you go. That has been your nuclear wake-up call. So don't go back to sleep, because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat. What are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat. What have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat. The corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb.